You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas behind your favorite online brands. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Charlie Carlisle, welcome to the show. Stefan, thanks so much for having me. So you are the Chief Operations Officer at Love Your Melon. Love Your Melon, uh, for people who don't know, I think you're most well-known for your headwear, your winter headwear, but also a lot of different things these days. I think the first thing that I came across were your beanies. But can you describe Love Your Melon? How do you describe it these days? Absolutely. Uh, So Love Your Melon is an apparel brand dedicated to the fight against pediatric cancer by providing uh, financial support to families that are immediately battling cancer, as well as supporting research uh, to develop new treatments and hopefully one day a cure for uh, many pediatric cancers. That's what we do. We make and sell product to support that. At the end of every year, we give away half of our net profit to a series of nonprofit partners in the space, as well as put on um, philanthropic events throughout the year all around the country and now in the uh, United Kingdom, Canada, and moving into other countries as well. Can you describe a little bit about the products that you sell to like actually do that? Absolutely, yeah. Our biggest product is a big, thick, chunky cotton knit beanie. Um, that's definitely our most popular item, just in terms of volume and brand awareness. It's got a, a nice a leather patch sewn on, kind of with an iconic white zigzag stitch with real leather from uh, Red Wing Boots Tannery. Uh, so really high quality product made in the U.S. And then from there, that's really where we started. And those hats are great for not only wearing around town and going hiking in, but they're also really comfortable for the patients that we serve. So for a pediatric cancer patient, that cotton's really important to their, to their head when they lose their hair to chemotherapy or other treatments so that they you know, are comfortable and warm in a hospital environment and at home. Um, but it's also really comfortable for everyone else as well. That's where we started. And that's kind of a, a long background on the product. But from there, we've really branched out into other facets of apparel, um, including clothing, uh, baseball caps, other kinds of knitwear, other other weights and gauges of beanies, and a lot of other projects on the horizon that are using other fibers such as cashmere. Uh, Reprieve from Unify is in our revitalized line, and that's recycled plastic, uh, mostly from bottles, but recycled PET. And uh, yeah, we've just kind of been growing more and more so that we have more product to sell um, so that at the end of the year we can give back an, a larger amount of money every year to our nonprofit partners. So you're, I want to get into all of that, but you're the, the chief operations officer there. And how did you get involved with the company? So I knew uh, Zachary Quinn, one of the two co-founders from my freshman year of college at the University of Denver. Me and him lived on the same floor, became close friends. And then as time went on, uh, Z, after his freshman year, transferred back to St. Thomas in Minnesota, where he met Brian Keller, the other co-founder of Love Your Melon. And they started this whole, at the time, class project, but eventually business and anytime the guys needed something in Denver during those early years, I'd always raise my hand and do it. I always stayed in touch, developed close relationships with both uh, Zachary and Brian during that time. And uh, about a year after college, I got a phone call from Zachary and he informed me that the company was growing. I think at the time it was like four or five people. Uh, he wanted someone to come and run the campus crew program. Um, Brian Keller, the other co-founder, was moving off it to oversee other parts of the company at the time. So I quit my job, packed up my car, and drove to Minneapolis from Denver. What and what's your role like these days? What what does COO mean at Love Your Melon? Uh, it means overseeing a lot, lot of the making, moving, and 
uh, selling a product. So my direct reporting teams are our merchandising and product development team, uh, logistics and analytics. So uh, analyzing our supply chain inventory, uh, setting different quantities and reorders and figuring out what's going on with their inventory, whether it's on a truck or at our main DC, uh, overseeing our customer service programming and team and interacting with other teams cross-functionally. So providing um, planning and execution and creative input for our social media and content teams, as well as uh, marketing as needed. If, if we need to come up with a new holiday promotion, just uh, we have a lot of, we wear a lot of hats. <laughs> what can you say? I feel like that joke, <laughs> it comes up probably too much at your office. <laughs> Definitely a little bit. Um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about this, the, the backstory of, of why pediatric cancer, you know, it seems like a very personal story, but I'd be curious to know, like, how did that actually start? Absolutely. So back when this company was first getting going, I think one of the things that Zachary and Brian were both acutely aware of, uh, and, and you'll know this if you ever get to meet Zachary, especially he's very, very detail oriented, was that there was a lack of high quality, affordable Beanies. I mean, these are two guys living in Minnesota in the winter. I will tell you now from firsthand experience after living here for two and a half years, it gets really cold here. Yeah. And there was a need for a higher quality beanie. And that's where that's where this started was a product thing. It started with trying to find like how do we how do we bring to market a new cool product? And that's where like the, the search began. That's really where the product development began. But through the nature of that you come to realize and what Zachary and Brian came to realize is that there's actually a community of people that really needs these hats that not only can are wearing them for functional purposes to stay warm in the outdoors, but are wearing them to protect their heads and love their heads in a time of need. And that's where they started um, realizing that pediatric cancer was a really, as a community, it was really underserved, not only from federal funding, but general awareness. I mean, we're talking again about six years ago, uh, 2012, it was not nearly as prominent of an issue or as prominent of a cause as it is today. So it was kind of the genesis of those two things, realizing that there was an underserved community that this product would really help and could be a huge positive impact on their life during a hard time, and also the quest to make really good things. Were your co-founders exposed to any specific people or family members or something like that that really like inspired them to, to pursue this particular mission? You know, in the early days of the company, one name comes to mind for me as particularly impactful for Zachary and Brian, uh, and that's Zach Soviak. Um, he had he wrote a song called Clouds, and that was his his big YouTube hit. That song, I think it's got like 13 million plays the last time I checked, but it was written in some of Zach's last days on Earth, or last months, I should say. He was battling a form of cancer that they couldn't treat and Austin a type of osteosarcoma and they'd run out of options. So he just wanted to live the rest of his life in as good of a way as he could. And that, that meant for him creating a song so that all of his loved ones could remember him and be a part and have a part of him that could never go away, even when he has to leave on the earth. So Zachary and Brian met Zach Sobiak and I, th I think in the first year or so of Love Your Own being a thing. And that really solidified the mission. That that tie, that story, and that presence for Zachary and Brian was incredibly important. Can you give a little bit of background on maybe the kinds of cancer that are most prevalent or in, in just like the scale on how many people does that affect every year? So pediatric cancer 
across the board, there's there's several, actually many different uh, subgroups that are involved in pediatric cancer. It ranges from ALL, lymphoma, to um, neuroblastoma, osteosarcoma. It can be anything. But the, the math on the, the family of diseases that make up pediatric cancer is that in, in the United States annually, we're seeing about 15,000 newly diagnosed patients. Um, and at any given time, about 45,000 active, uh, actively battling cancer pediatric patients in the U.S. So it's to us and to, to our company, especially and to the general public, it's a really big deal. I mean, 15,000 children in the U.S. and globally, it's even it's even more prevalent. Um, those that's a community that needs to be helped and needs to be served. Um, unfortunately, having a patient population of, of that of that magnitude of 15,000 doesn't qualify you for a lot of federal funding. Federal funding really kicks in around the 200,000 newly diagnosed patient per year mark. Um, and as such, there's been a lot of slow drug development. Like there, there has only been, I believe the number is four, uh, FDA approved drugs for pediatrics in the last 30 years. And that's, that's just unacceptable. And a lot of that's because there's no money in it. There's no funding in it. And, and pharmaceutical companies don't want to take a hit to go through clinical trials and change dosages or slightly change formulas to serve pediatrics. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the scope of the problem, the, the patient um, size, the turnover, and, and the treatments that are unfortunately not coming to market as quickly as we'd like. Are you only focused on the U.S. for now, or is the idea to grow beyond that? Definitely grow beyond it. We had a really successful partnership um, this past fall and winter with the BBC for BBC Children in Need. Uh, we were their official headwear provider, and we donated seven pounds her product sold for them to go towards children in need. And they support not only pediatric oncology and cancer treatment facilities in the UK, but they also uh, other host of pediatric disease and causes for children that are in need. In Canada, we're getting more and more into uh, giving events at hospitals like we've been doing throughout the United States for a long time. And then other countries as well, we're really trying to pursue Australia more, um, get into other countries in Europe and yeah, I would say there's definitely for us a huge. Now that we're now that we have this this platform as a as a company, we want to use that to the best of our ability to help as many people as we can. What did you learn scaling from you know a small number to where you're at today in terms of the manufacturing and logistics and all of the you know keeping inventory of all the different colors? It must have changed a lot for you over the past few years. Absolutely. Um, I'd say supply chain development and partnership management and early assessment is really important. Uh, the worst thing that you can do when bringing on new manufacturers or you know, su- service providers, suppliers, is start working with someone and try and invest a lot of time in trying to fix an underlying issue, whether it's an attitude issue or a process issue. Right? They're, most of these people are third party. They're not going to be with you all the time. They're not in the same office as you. you. You can't do professional development like you can with full-time staff. And so if you're working with someone that's whose goals are not aligned with, with yours, it's really complicated. And the relationship can get strained very quickly because you're not on the same page. And you have two different working styles and sets of demands. So always choosing partners that line up with your expectations, I think, from early on and identifying that is really important. That's like number one and kind of a vague uh, piece of guidance, but really one that transcends every single different level of partnership that we have in manufacturing and supply chain and that those that have the same mentality as we do always work out much better. 
Is there something that you look for? Is there anything that you can test early on to, to know whether they're going to be a good fit long-term or not? I think responsiveness, honesty, and transparency. I guess honesty and transparency are kind of the same, but people that'll, that'll give you the unfortunate answer early. Mm. So if they're going to be late on a shipment or something's going wrong, being able to tell you that as opposed to holding on to that truth for two weeks until it's the very last minute where you thought you were going to have the goods and it didn't happen and they tell you right then, that's like the worst. That, that is how you strain a relationship. Ugly truths aren't bad as long as you get them early. But that's certainly one thing. And then, yeah, responsiveness. I mean, our, our logistics and merchandising team work uh, very, very hard and oftentimes into the night if we're trying to get caught up on email from a day of phone calls or meetings. And uh, the partners that are still online at that point, that are still you know, being very attentive and paying attention to what we need and being very clear, concise, and consistent communicators, those are those stand out. So yeah, to boil all that down, I'd say people that respond to emails and text at night, that's a really good sign. And then people that deliver bad news early. <laughs> it's hard to tell if you're going to get bad news early when you're first starting a relationship, though. Totally. Sometimes it takes, it takes development, but some people are, are faster to it than others. If you've had a partner that has had to give you bad news before and consistently gives you bad news late, it's not a good sign. Yeah. So you had a few more ideas along these lines of things that you've seen change a lot over the past couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that one of the things that we've been able to maintain in the face of a rapidly scaling organization is a sense of culture that we take a lot of pride in, in terms of uh, commitment to this company and the mission of this company along with really taking personal responsibility and being accountable for your role. Uh, even though we've scaled from five to 35 plus people at this point, we have that same mentality and that same mentality shared with everyone on staff and being able to always be pushing harder and working harder and being there for each other is, is super important. And th that, that not changing has been great, but in the company that, that comes with the same like the double-edged sword is that things have changed. We are much bigger. You know, 35 people, even if we're doing something like this week, like we've been giving free gifts to staff uh, during the week to kind of show, give everyone one of the cool new products that we're releasing every day during our Melon Madness uh, promotion for Black Friday through the following Friday. You know, it's just more. It's more everything. Like you can't, you can't bring all of those people to to dinner very easily. Like a 35-person reservation is not that easy to book. But the internal part of our culture is trying to maintain that really nimble feel and really nimble result as we have to grow and scale headcount. From a manufacturing, from a you know nuts and bolts side, logistics and manufacturing, we've had we've been really fortunate to develop relationships with partners that scale with us. From the fulfillment side, we work with a company called Quiet Logistics, and they're always really receptive, flexible, and fast at at handling our needs. So whether we need you know, a, a custom kitting project, we want to do something special with our cashmere beanies, or we want to you know, do something complex at Outbound, or we have a day with tens of thousands of orders, they're always there to help us figure it out and, and staff up accordingly to meet our needs. We work really heavily with FedEx Freight on the LTL side and logistics side. And that's a company that's been Un unbelievably helpful in terms of their customer service and the infrastructure availability. Like there is never a time where we can't get a truck. There's never a time where we can't get goods from point A to point B in between two and five days. That's been great. Um, 
manufacturing networks wise, we've been expanding all over the place. We used to really only be making our product in Minnesota. And now we've got facilities in New York, North Carolina, California, Denver, kind of all, all over the United States. And uh, that's been, that's been really fun. It means a lot of travel, a lot of frequent flyer miles, but it's, it's a really good change to our network is being more flexible and, and more dynamic in the products we're able to offer. You mentioned that you were exploring different um, kinds of materials and that you released this recycled plastic yarn. What was that uh, development process like? That took a good amount of time. Fortunately, we have a really good partner. Uh, there's a company called Unify that has a product called Reprieve, and that's that's the yarn we use, and they have an incredible uh, series of facilities in North Carolina that take bales of PET bottles break them down, melt them down, and put them basically back into fresh, you know, certifiably clean yarns. And it's mostly automated. And they, as far as getting, you know, that part of the equation down, the raw materials equation down, they already had that process. So that was, that was one nice helpful piece of this development that went pretty smoothly and quickly. And then in regards to actually making the finished goods, we had to figure out, you know, how we're going to change our programs that we already have on these on these machines to be accommodating this yarn and accommodating these design changes, and that took that took about three months. In in the end result, it was completely worth it. Where did the idea come from? What did it come first from discovering the material, or did you set out to make something like this and had to find a source for this material? So I think we draw a lot of inspiration, not only from the world around us and understanding things like climate change and pollution. I mean, that's, that's a very basic thing for anyone that likes to spend time in the outdoors or at a beach. Um, you, you see trash and, and you wish it wasn't there. That's like at a high level, I think something that our, our entire company and especially our executive team really feel strongly about is trying to be a part of that solution and be a part of making that better. And then honestly, looking out in the world and seeing other brands doing incredible things and being inspired by that in terms of driving, you know, what is possible? How can we be better? What are some footsteps that we can follow in and then create our own path off of? That certainly was a huge part of the genesis of, of that particular project over the course of the last last six months. Uh, well, actually, it's longer than that, but it lasts about two years. There's been a lot of really um, larger brands taking that step towards sustainability. We respected that. I think the Adidas Parlay project has been one that we've seen and, and when we're really impressed by when it first came out and continue to be impressed by with their commitment to not have virgin source plastics in their products. And that's super awe-inspiring. I would say that those two forces are really recognizing the problem in the real world and seeing other people addressing it with their own solution and their own style is part of, part of what really drove us to make, bring this project to life. I don't know if you know this, but there's a... Um billboard of love your melon right outside of our office in los angeles it seems like we were all you know because we've been working with you guys for a little while and we were all amazed to see it right there um do you know much about is that an initiative that you uh, were running yeah so there's that's that's another really exciting one in the context of sustainability uh we went after a multi-state kind of all over the country uh billboard advertising program in the month of August and early September of this year uh, with the intent that we you know, place these billboards all over the country in major markets and get more brand exposure, introduce more people to the brand, but then be able to, after that program was done, 
take that vinyl down and ship it to a manufacturing facility to be made into products. Wow. That's what's happening now. We've had a few delays and a few hiccups in terms of actually getting all of the billboard vinyl turned into bags and uh, a couple other cool little things that we're working on. But that, that was a, a kind of a double entendre meeting of that program is not only to gain awareness, but also take that material and turn it into something else, reuse it, and recycle it, upcycle it. That's amazing. And have you gotten any sort of sense of whether the billboards worked? I think that in general, um, you know, people are spending a lot of their advertising dollars on, on Facebook because you can track everything and figure out what, whether people are clicking through. But when it comes to billboards, it's a little bit of a different story. Do you know, do you get any sense of whether that worked? Well, you bring up a really good point. It's hard to do perfect attribution when you're talking about print, media, billboard, uh, TV, any of that. But we do know our market splits. We know that you know this city accounts for X amount of revenue typically. And I guess one example that kind of proves the efficacy, even though it's a soft metric, this whole week during our Melon Madness, we've had big TV monitors in our common space in the office having the Shopify live view where you can see, you know, who's online, where, when it orders place, you see it go on the map. And we've gotten way more activity in Southern California than we ever have. So are we running Facebook social ads, other display ads there? Absolutely. But I think that the signs that we're seeing from being able to at least be in front of people in an offline sense is paying dividends, but I couldn't tell you exactly quantifiably what Delta it's given us. I think that your mission around pediatric cancer has been so so strong and so visible throughout all of the marketing that you do. I wonder, these are comfortable, great products, and it's not a non, not-for-profit, it's a, it's a for-profit company. How do you balance those two ideas at the same time? Uh, I think that it takes a lot of really talented people. I think we've been very fortunate to build that team in order to balance our you know, outward facing public persona, along with a really talented team of designers and product developers now internally that are working on our product lines in the same way that any other apparel brand would be, whether they're giving half of their profit away or not. Having that dynamic team, having enough people to support both pieces of, of what you just mentioned, of the, the, the kind of the dichotomy, the pulling forces of our business um, is really important. And then also having people in the middle that can transcend that and deliver messaging across the board from, you know, one cause helping the other. You know, we just went after scrubs. We did a line of scrubs that was to support our caregivers for children battling cancer, our child life specialists, oncology, nurses and doctors. And that development probably wouldn't have happened if we didn't have that request coming from the philanthropic side of our company, the people uh, in the Lovermelon Foundation and uh, people that are on our PR and marketing team that are actually talking to the boots on the ground, these caregivers and, and what they want and how we can support them and how we can do better for their patients. It's an interesting dual force, but I, th- I think for us, it comes down to people. It comes down to having really good people focused on both. Can you describe a little bit about Melon Madness and what that was all about? Yeah. So the best way of describing is every year we try to outdo ourselves. And um, this year we have managed to do that in a couple different ways, but the basic concept behind Melon Madness is that between 12 a.m. on Black Friday through 11.59 p.m. the following Friday, every day we have something unique and every day we're doing something different, whether it's releasing new product or announcing new partnerships or 
giving free gifts. I mean, we have free shipping the whole time, which we don't ever really do. You know, all of that, um, just creating a lot of excitement and hype and engaging with our followers and finding new people that might resonate with this particular style of promotion or these products more than anything we've done in the past. That's the overall intent. It's to really use this holiday shopping, you know, gift shopping time to not only interact with our current following and reach new people. That's really it and make it really exciting and, and uh, different. And then on top of that, right, like that's an e-commerce thing. That's, that's what we do visually and publicly to everyone that can click on our website or follow us on social media. On top of that, this time we've also basically set up a TV studio in our Love Your Mountain studio space or our retail space in the first floor of our office building and every morning we've got like all of our products. We have two wonderful hosts from our full-time staff, Alex and Kendall. And then we, ha- we have been bringing in a new music act every morning. So we had Rebecca Black on this morning. We have Jesse McCartney tomorrow. We've got a couple of di- different big artists that are coming in to be featured on the show and play some live music and really kick off our day. We do it every day at 9.45 a.m. Central. Wow. On top of all of the production work that it takes to pull that off, we're also, you know, executing eight different product releases in a day at times. Like Cyber Monday was a very, very busy day for us. So we're recording this for people who are listening to this later on. Uh, you've got, I guess today is uh, Revitalized Tuesday. Did you make that up? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I think that was uh, Zachary on uh, name. We, we were trying to, we we're kicking it around for a while. What would make sense? Like what we actually wanted to say for our recycled plastic products and I think that one was beautiful. It really hit the nail on the head. I just read in the news that um, Amazon is calling this week um, Turkey 5. I don't know. It's the five days from uh, Thanksgiving to Cyber Monday is what they call it. Every day, I guess, has has a name, but it's pretty soon going to be Turkey 365, I think, for Amazon. You're, <laughs> you're, you're on your way there. You've got uh, Friendship Friday, Throwback Thursday. Super Kid Sunday. Super Kid Sunday. That seems uh, uniquely love your melon. Yeah, I, I would say so. But no, you're you're right. You're hitting the nail on the head. I think that's one of the things that everyone working in e-commerce has to think about. It's like, at what point is are these holiday promotions going to get completely out of control? Um, I think that Amazon is on the way there to kind of you know being being the market maker in that sense and trying to make the most ridiculous promotional periods and different things that people can't keep beat on from the basis of scale. But we're, we're very con- conscious of that as well. Um, I don't know how many more days we'd ever add to a melon madness, but I guess we'll have to talk about that next year. Yeah. I wonder if people experience any fatigue from that kind of stuff or it, it doesn't seem like it at this point, uh, uh, this year, it seems to have been again, like a really, really successful year for Thanksgiving based on, or, and uh, black Friday based on what, the news is so far yeah i think so that's that's a really interesting question though at what point are people going to be kind of disenchanted with all this and it's going to go out like out of style i don't know that's a good question we'll have to kind of wait and see on that i think it's it's always a good thing for uh smaller specialized brands i really do think that these sales periods give a lot of visibility to brands that aren't you know giant brick and mortar retail and chain retail and the amazons of the world that some of my favorite companies had better promotions than um, these larger, these larger players, like, uh, one example, best made company, one a company that I really follow and respect a lot that they have, they had a great promotional period. And I think that for them, that's a huge amount of visibility. I know it certainly is for us. Yeah. I know that when NPR comes to mind as a company that does, you know, pledge drives and 
tries to raise money and they're, they'll spend a week outside of the regular ho- holiday schedule trying to remind people to donate. I think it's interesting when you combine the for-profit model with a strong mission like you have that you can insert yourself into what is a commercial holiday or a commercial set of days and actually do good. Definitely. Yeah. And have something, a, a, a purpose, a purpose behind it. We're not just engaging in commerce. Like we're not, we're not just doing that. We, we really are trying to do as much business as we can right now. So that at the end of the year, we can make the biggest amount of impact as possible give the most amount of money as w- away as possible that we can for us as a team and for our supporters and everyone that part, like engages with our brand. I think that's about most important. This is something that does set us apart in, in a, hugely positive way. Switching topics a little bit, I, um, I'm curious to hear more about how you've set up internally the operations of the company. I came across an interesting article on Zapier's blog. Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah. Zapier is a tool that we use a lot at Lumi, which is basically this glue that lets you, well, not a literal glue, but a figurative glue that lets you plug different APIs and software tools to together so that you can sync information from one thing to another. And we found it really useful because we, we try to use a lot of, I guess, like the best-in-class tool for each of the different areas of the company. How are you using that? And can you tell us more about how it works internally at, at uh, Love Your Melon? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I, and there's, there's definitely two different camps of pronunciation on that software, but um, I go with Zapier. That software. I think their slogan is is Zapier makes you happier. So yeah. <laughs> that's what they told me when I did the interview for that one. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I've always been curious. I thought yeah. pronounced like Zapier or something. Yeah, Zapier, yeah. kind of French. I don't know, but um, it was uh for me starting off at, at the company how I managed to run our crew program. We had so many integrations, and we had no really formal hardcore ERP or CRM to manage thirteen thousand decentralized masters at the brand. So having Zapier run to, you know, Gmail from Google Sheets and coordinating all these things was really important. Now that's evolved obviously over the last two and a half years for us. And it in Zapier touches and automates programming from our custom program to our wholesale program, uh, getting customers signed up and tagged correctly so that they have access to products once they're approved. I have one kind of funny zap that I have right now called the ads weather robot. I mean, if we have a major market that's going to be under 40 degrees this time of year, my whole marketing team gets an email that morning that says, hey, time to turn up the advertisements. Like, let's increase some spend in San Antonio. It's cold today. Wow. It, it really does run the gamut. Those are our biggest ones, though, I would say, is, is, is helping run our wholesale program and our custom program. I've done some other things with it for like social media tracking and whatnot. But it's it's a really it's a really dynamic tool once you get it down. Have you trained your team to create their own automations? Absolutely. I've I've two people on staff right now that I would absolutely trust to be in Zapier and uh, be building stuff. I, I did it for a long time as the sole person, but in the last six months, two additional staff members have come on that I've trained on a little bit and and taught them, you know, how to experiment with it, make simple stuff, and then really get more and more complex as time goes on. Yeah, it's an interesting tool because it doesn't require really any programming language, but you can do some very sophisticated stuff uh, with it. But it does require a little bit of a different way of thinking. Like you don't always realize that this is something that you could solve with Zapier, and, and some very repetitive tasks can be solved. And pe- most people wouldn't think of doing it that way. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And we're big on uh, information organization. So if we're going to have you know, a repeated process, we want to make sure that that process can be initiated from the submission of a form, for example, so that we know that we're getting every field of data that we would need to fully carry out a project. That's like a really underlying to what you said about um, Zapier being like a good way of eliminate, eliminating um, repetitive process and ensuring more uh, information continuity and reliability. That's really like at the beginning of a lot of our zaps, what happens? It's like, how do we get all the data? How do we share it with all the people? How do we use, how do we communicate more fluidly as an organization? That's a big, big uh, goal of mine with any zap that we make. Can you describe some of the other tools that you've found really useful in, in building the business? Uh, Google Sheets. We <laughs> I swear, during my time running the Canvas Crew program two and a half years ago, that was one thing that I learned really well. Google Sheets query, if you don't know that, if you don't know array formulas and you learn them and you understand how powerful that tool is for running, even, you know, we're, we're scaling right now. Our last publicly reported revenue number is 31 and a half million. We, we are still running most of our ERP off of G Suite and it's because of those advanced functions. So are you hooking those up to Zapier too? Oh yeah. We, I mean, we'll have, you know, orders being added as, uh, line items and Google Sheets for certain programs, especially wholesale, to study our customer base more effectively and quickly than we can on a, a software like Shopify. Tying up copy and paste of exports from whether it's a warehouse or a, a cost of goods sold master report, like all of that is possible within Google, Google Apps and G Suite. At what point do you actually consider using a real full-blown ERP though? Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I say that as kind of a, a bragging point that we're really proud of as a company, but we're getting to that point. I'm working on that, that project right now to implement in quarter one of 2019. Wow. Describe a little bit for, for people who are maybe at that transition point, or how do you know that you're getting close to that point where you really need to switch? There are many different reasons. Sometimes if you have to interact with a bank, which most businesses do, they like having things really buttoned up and clean. And uh, closing out the month of financials really quickly. And I would say that that's very difficult to do unless you have a really, really well-integrated ERP with across your warehouses, DCs, and manufacturers of work-in-progress goods. So that's really the driving force behind it. We, we have you know, a formal CRM system on HubSpot. That, that's not the biggest concern out of doing a full-blown ERP implementation. But for us, for financial reasons and for having a better, more transparent way to view our supply chain, that's our driving force. And now that we're scaling to the point of being really considered an enterprise business, it's, it's time. Yeah, that's fascinating. What Can you share a little bit more about what your exploration has been like? What are the different ones that you're looking into? Or is there anything that seems like it makes more sense to you? I've explored a few different ones, whether it was like a Shopify bolt-on, like native ERP or... I mean, even looking at like Salesforce's solutions for ERP, I've pretty much come to the conclusion that uh, NetSuite Oracle, Oracle NetSuite would be a good potential fit. Uh, a few of my industry peers, um, Nate Peterson, Outdoor Voices, we and I have talked about it and they're, they're on it. They sound like they're having a really good time. Uh, it's, it's providing a lot of value for their enterprise. And one of my close friends from college, he, he works there and he's, he's told me a lot about, you know, what the software can do and, and now doing you know a few different demos and having a sales rep that's been really informative and supportive and helpful 
Uh, it just seems like a good fit. Again, like we talked about earlier, you find you find partners that respond to emails at 8 p.m. You find people that hear your concerns and actively take steps to address them. Uh, even during the sales process is really encouraging. And I think that I think that'll probably be where we end up. Is it something where you wished you had made that decision earlier? Or do you think that the way you did it before using Google Sheets and all these zaps, uh, sending stuff from one place to another was just what you needed to do in the beginning because it was more affordable to do it that way or you were experimenting a lot with different things. Is this the right time or would you rather have done it earlier? I think it's the right time. I, I, I know that as a company and I feel that as a company, we really do love being able to roll up our sleeves and build up and tear apart any different piece of software that we'll use. Uh, being able to customize it, know it top to bottom, back and forth is really important. And from our advertising campaigns through custom apps on our website all the way through now, financial tracking and reporting, um, supply chain management, being able to have it on Google Sheets, being able to meticulously understand it and build it and like train vendors on it and internal team members is really important because it, t- it informs you of the architecture that you may want to replicate to one degree or another in a software, in an ERP platform. So I would say it was just the right time. We're just getting to the point where we have, you know, too many people that need information as we're as we're staffing up more and more vendors to keep track of, like tracking work in progress goods, parts, parts costs, all that. It's just the natural evolution. But it's not like it's not like we're jumping because it's it's so needed that we couldn't do it ourselves. We just hope it, it saves us some time and makes life a little bit easier. What are you looking forward to for next year? Oh, there's a lot. Um, 2019 is going to be a really exciting year for us. We've um, been developing not only our, our e-commerce channel continually. I mean, that's that was our bread and butter from day one, but we're getting really cool relationships going with a lot of different larger retailers. We just became uh, a member of OIA to get you know more involved with getting kids outside and, and taking care of the environment and working with retail partners that share those same goals as well. Uh, building out our B2B program is going to be huge and we're really excited about that. Um, we had a really successful partnership this fall with Dick's Sporting Goods. That was we were in roughly 200 doors uh, from September onward, and that that was kind of the proof in the pudding for we can make it work with larger larger retail partners. So going after that channel will be really big. We're doing a lot of international expansion in both giving and sales. So uh, we partnered with the BBC this past fall to do the Children in Need initiative and be their headwear provider Wow! and uh this coming year yeah i think that's only going to evolve and change we want to get involved in australia more and in canada and the uk more formally just to begin but there's always new opportunities and we're always open to new international partnerships to grow our impact outside of the continental u.s and canada when you say b2b do you mean wholesale or are you talking about like customization on top of the product yeah exactly so we we have uh, a really fairly robust custom program now too, and that supports anything from a pro sports game night to a you know high school dance team that wants to make 200 hats to sell as a team like fundraiser or or just team gear. Uh, we we work with every different size of clients. We did the Super Bowl hats last year. That was several. It was like 25,000 hats, and we've done deals you know as small as 10 hats. But it was for a good cause or someone that needed it. Wow. What did you learn from working with um, Dick Sporting Goods? Keep a very good paper trail and be very meticulous <laughs> about your detail. Uh, working with a partner of that size uh, is a lot of compliancy. To Dick's Sporting Goods credit, they have a really wonderful understanding and supportive team. 
uh, working with new brands like us who haven't really had to uh, fit the mold for, you know, the quote unquote, like EDI partners of the world um, doing that, that level of drop shipping. It was a learning curve for us. And uh, they, they were very accommodating, but I would say really meticulous attention to detail about every single Piona we're lining up with different, you know, SKUs and quantities and keeping all that straight when you're shipping 200 stores at once, if you're doing like a massive shipment, uh, it just, it tests, it tests your people and it tests how well people have attention to detail from your HQ through, you know, DC operations, work people, picking and pack, like all of that. It was just a uh, maturing in that sense has been really, really valuable for us. Amazing. If people want to find out more about Love Your Melon, they should go to loveyourmelon.com. There's probably still going to be some great deals and things going on as uh, we get closer and closer to, to Christmas. So I, I hope people go check it out and read more. There's lots of great um, videos and, and links on your website kind of explaining more about all the work that you do. Is there anything else you want to send people to? Uh, I would say for sure our social media channels. So um, for us, Instagram and Facebook are our two most prominent. If you want to really learn about the company and what we're doing and the mission behind Love Your Melon, those are really helpful channels to follow um, just because we, we try to do a lot of storytelling. Anytime we have a really cool event or help a family or a child individually, we can talk about it. They, they feel comfortable us talking about it. We'll always share it there. Anytime we have a new product or a new initiative, that's the first place to hear it. So yeah, on top of seeing the website and clicking around on there, I would definitely recommend following us on, on our social media channels. Yeah, especially if you're in a in a very cold area. I'm I'm down here and it's like 76 degrees or something still in LA. But if you're in a cold place, you really got to get yourself a beanie, and these are really beautiful and uh, comfortable. Yeah, thank you. And we are making stuff for you too. We got baseball caps. We've yeah, it. they're awesome. And we'll send you one of the uh, the revitalized beanies. They're perfect for California. That's where we did all the photo and videography work for the release. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.